And now, here's Attorney Barack Lurie with the Lurie Law Bulletin. Because of serious budget cuts, the state is closing courtrooms and adding caseloads to the remaining ones, making it impossible to get a day in court for years. However, arbitration is increasing to meet this challenge. An experienced lawyer or former judge can resolve the dispute quickly instead of your case dragging out. Arbitration offers a fair and impartial decision of your case. Whether you're the plaintiff or defendant, the arbitrator listens to the evidence and positions of the counsel, including any objections, and then decides the case. That arbitration award becomes a judgment, just as if you'd gone to trial. It can be a lot quicker and a lot less expensive. The key is to have someone who knows the law, and we do that at much less expensive rates than other arbitrators. Dennis Prager here. You know I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. He's also an experienced arbitrator. Call him for your legal issues at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Interesting news that Ted Cruz has decided to throw his hat in the presidential race uh, for 2016. I'm very happy about that. I think he's a quality candidate. And look, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you always have to say the caveat that something will come out. It turns out that he had some sort of, you know, drug ring or something like that. But barring something like an Elliot Spitzer or uh, Anthony Weiner situation or some sort of nefarious uh, Travelgate type arrangement uh, like Hillary Clinton had. Um, this guy is a cool cat, and I like him, and I'm excited about it. Uh, we need somebody as aggressively conservative as he is because uh, these times call for it. Here's why both Ari and I think that there's a good chance that he might actually be able to take it. First, there's a good chance that Hillary Clinton won't even be the nominee for the Democrats. That is a, a distinct possibility because of all the scandals that she's getting herself into. And frankly, she's tired. She may herself just not have the energy to move forward. It's a long road for this next year and a half. It's a long, long road. And I don't know if Hillary Clinton, having already drained herself so much in 2008, can stomach another huge presidential run eight years later. I just, I just don't see it. So that's to say nothing of her email scandal, nothing to say about the foundation scandal, uh, nothing to say about the fact that she really hasn't accomplished anything. These are big drags on her campaign. But so let's say Elizabeth Warren or some such is the Democratic nominee. That, whoever it is, Against Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz will just eat them for lunch. You know why I know that? Because Ted Cruz knows his facts. Ted Cruz knows that basic conservative principles always work, and he knows that liberal principles always fail. And he can point that out easily. And, he, and the funny thing is you don't even have to—you can put the burden on them. And this is what I like doing, with the, as, you, as you know, my radio show and otherwise— I like to simply say, when somebody says, oh, the stimulus will be great, let's do a stimulus, I'll say, that sounds great. Just tell me a time that it's ever worked before in history, and then we can be really ready. Okay? 
or tell me when minimum wages work. Tell me when increasing taxes has ever worked, and we'll be good. That's that's the way you do it. You just put them on their heels. Is that the expression, right? You put them on the defensive, and and they just can't win on that. They just can't. Um, what are they going to What are they going to do? They're going to cite to FDR's uh, New Deal. That was a great or LBJ's. You know, great. Uh, what is it? What it was called? War the, on poverty. War on poverty, and the, the it was the new something. Society. The Great Society. Yeah. Uh, good luck. Good luck with that. And Ted Cruz will just turn that around and eat them alive as well. So I'm excited about it. <clears throat> and and another reason why it may very well work because he is very conservative. I mean, he's he's a he's, he's a the real deal. This he's guy. A, he's as conservative as Reagan, if not more conservative. And so you think to yourself, how could this country go for such a conservative? And, and these, you know, very liberal times. And yes, we're still, you know, center-right country, but are we that conservative? Why would we give them a chance? Because, my friends, we've given, in this center-right country, a far-lefty named Obama the chance to be president. He got there. And, and, and he's, he's left, right? So if we're center-right, and we are, then why wouldn't we be able to get somebody as conservative as Ted Cruz is? Someone closer to our center yeah. political body politic. Right. We're, we're already leaning that way anyway. So that's one thing. The other thing is that Obama, by his very policies, by his very failures, by his very, uh, well, failures, right, I guess I should say, by his, his real inabilities, his, the transparency with which we see liberal incompetence, that has shown such a mirror to our country about what liberalism really gives us, what it really, you know, what's a, rots or what it wreaks upon society. And I think the country might very well say, we need to go completely 180 degrees against this nonsense. And this Ted Cruz guy is saying exactly that. He's saying Nothing of it works. And I think Mr. Obama has proved that for us. Thank you, Mr. Obama. In essence, Obama has made Ted Cruz's argument for him. Uh, that's right. That's right. And uh, this is a great opportunity. So I'm excited about it. Um, I think also Ted Cruz will, in a debate with Jeb Bush, assuming that Jeb Bush continues his run, uh, will have Jeb Bush for lunch, as it were, because... Look, I, I like Jack Bush. He's a nice guy. I think he's straightforward. I like him better than McCain, for example. And I, I, may, I certainly like him better than his father, George H.W. Bush. And I may even like him more than his brother, George W. Bush. But that's still not saying much because Jeb Bush, well, he's an establishment conservative that still thinks that you need to engage in detente with the liberals. I mean, just last Sunday, this past Sunday, I talked about how the great heroes of time, whether it's Ronald Reagan or Churchill or um, the great fighters of the Greek age and such, they never negotiated with evil. And it's one thing to negotiate with your democratic allies, right? You know, you have a problem with your, your, your neighboring, if we have a problem with Canada, for example, we'll negotiate, that's cool. But you never negotiate with evil when you know that they're evil. And that's what Reagan did. You know, up to Reagan, there was this thing called detente. And the notion of detente was we're going to just kind of 
go along to get along. We recognize that you're a pretty powerful empire, and you know that we are too. And well, we'll just kind of we're just going to divide the world in, in two, and and you stay on your side of the of the room, and we'll stay on our side of the room, like two roommates that just can't quite get along, right? And 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 the mistake in the, in the metaphor there is that it only gave evil more opportunity to thrive. That's what happens with detente when you play that game with evil. They only take it as a sign of weakness. And and Ronald Reagan said, no, I see you as evil, and I'm going to treat you as evil, and you're going down. Yeah, Reagan had a great line about it. He said, I will not capitulate and allow billions of people to live in a gigantic prison camp on the other side of the world. That's right. Yeah, he got it right. I mean, and what a moral clarity of that moment. Right. And, and we, we have that now here. And the same thing applies with dealing with liberal ideology. You see, Jeb Bush, in a sense, is engaging in a detente with the liberals, right? This is what happens when you say, well, look, let's give them the common core. Let's give them a little gun control. Uh, let's give them a little bit in the way of amnesty. abortion and amnesty and, and, and all the, the, their favorite issues. Uh, let's give them let, – let's, let's – Let's uh, go be okay with Obamacare, but you know, kind of demand a little bit more in our direction. No, you're only giving fodder for them, and it does strengthen them and embolden them, emboldens them to say, "Well, Jeb Bush, he seems like a reasonable Republican. Look, he he likes Obamacare. Look, he likes Common Core. I mean, we just need more people like you. Come on, let's do it." And we need somebody to confront liberalism as an evil enterprise. And simply to say, I, I demur to all of this. You are destroying us. You are, it's an orchestrated destruction of these here United States. That's what you're engaging in. And I'm, I'm, I'm as Ted Cruz would hopefully say, we're, we're just not having any of it. We're calling you out, liberalism. Now, listeners to this show will say, look, Come on, Ari. Come on, Barack. You know, it, it's not the same thing. We're not, we're not as evil as a Soviet empire. We're not, we're not trying to send anyone to the gulags or the concentration camps. And, and we're not this, you know, the communist nation that kills anybody that disagrees with us. Well, it's true. It's true that, that you, you do not uh, go to that level. And so there's no analogy that works perfectly. But I will tell you one thing. My far lefty liberal friends... Your ideology, taken to where you want it to go, is in fact extremely dangerous. It is extremely deadly. Yeah, that's right, deadly. Not just inconvenient, not just something that hurts the, the well-off, not something that just hurts the, the race relations among all of us in the nation. No, it hurts us in a, in a deadly way. It kills. Liberalism kills. How about that? And, and how can I say that with, with the reasonable confidence? Because at the end of the day, liberalism demands complete and utter loyalty. And if you don't follow the program, you're going to be ousted one way or the other. Example, global warming. Right? I mean, Vice President, former Vice President Gore recently suggested harsh punishments for people who do not support the global warming doctrine. Now, what does that look like? He wasn't so clear. What he did say 
was such that it makes you think that, okay, well, if you're a professor, for example, perhaps you'll lose your tenure. Uh, certainly you'll lose your funding. Certainly, um, you, and, and then you might be penalized in other respects. Now, whether that means jail time, I, I, I doubt it for now. I don't want to be too ridiculous about it, but is it that surprising? I mean, after all, there was the targeting of the IRS. People have gone to jail for simply being on the conservative side of the equation. Scooter Libby, for example, right? So strange things have happened in the, in the war between ideas, and that is liberalism and conservatism. Yeah, but people have actually died. With, when gun control is implemented, people die. Uh, you know, that's a good point. Abortion. People yeah, die. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, you're right. You're right. A it's nuclear a, bomb in the hands of Iran? Right. What's that going to do? All those three things that you just mentioned, and they're excellent points, they are indirect consequences of liberal ideology and the attitude that they have. But it's a good point. And, and one may argue that who cares how you die? Uh, at the end of the day, you're dead. You're dead. That's it. So it's like the... Um, the line that somebody said to me the other day, which is, uh, you know, who cares uh, who it is that's killing you, right? If, if you're at the other end, the wrong side of a gun, as like the Allman Brothers song went, uh, it, it doesn't matter. You know, what, what you do want is to be able to, resi- you know, to, to create an, an environment such that you'll always be safe. You, you need to be strong. That's the way it is. Liberalism does not offer that strength. In fact, it weakens the country day by day by day. It's an orchestrated destruction of the country. Orchestrated. Now, it's, it's, it's or orchestrated chaos, if you want. The easy thing for them is to simply put in different ideas, and it doesn't matter their timing, by the way, um, whether it's the breakdown of the family or the encouragement of, of the proliferation of drugs. And, uh, of course, also the encouragement of unbridled sex um, throughout uh, all of society. And, uh, of course, uh, the discouragement of monogamy and discouragement of marriage and the wiping away of distinctions between teacher and student, parent and child, uh, men and women, all this is, uh, these are many different prongs of attack upon society. And each one of them, you may say, what's the big deal? And each one of them is, in fact, a big deal, I I would say. Every single one of them is a foundation, a pillar, if you want, uh, to what our society is. And you take any one of them away, uh, the society collapses. Now, you you may say, this is old school, this is so silly. I'd say to you, really? Really? It took so long for this civilization to become where it is today. And it's not, not by any means perfect. But it's a hell of a lot better than where we were during the times of Sodom and Gomorrah, during the Greek times, during the Roman times, during the, during the barbarian times, uh, even, even the, the, during the colonial times. It's, we are so leagues ahead of this. And, and, and you don't stop to ask, why? Why are we here? Why is the structure of a society relatively good as it is? You, you would. N- There's no way you can tell me you'd rather be at a different time in society right now, right? I mean, people will accuse conservatives of wanting to be back in the 50s, but they, they wouldn't want to be. You wouldn't. 
I'll tell you why. I mean, I'll give you so many examples. Um, you know, the, the opportunities were not as great. Forget about race relations, which, which is a legitimate argument, by the way. But I'm just talking about the average American citizen. Uh, opportunities were not what they are today. And um, the, the health is much better today. Longevity is much better today. All the smoking, all the hair, yeah. the brill cream, all of the um, uh, way people died of cancer, the 90% tax rate. Yeah. I don't want to go back to the 90% tax rate. Well, it's not just that, but, but and also the, all the innovations. I mean, we didn't have the iPhone. We didn't have the music. We, you know, your opportunity to see to see concerts, the opportunity to watch TV, the opportunity to see movies at a whim, to fly around the world. I mean, you, you couldn't do that as easily back in the 50s as you could today. It was far more expensive for anyone to fly around the world. But very few people flew back in the 50s. You, you might take a boat, yeah, but it's just it was a different world. Okay? And, of course, before then, even, even less pleasant. Even, it just, it's obvious, right? So, and then there's a foundational question, where we are in the civilization. And these pillars, it's not, you have to have every single one of them. Every single one. The family, um, the understanding of the, um, the curtailing of sex, hopefully within a monogamous relationship. The curtailing of drugs, of course. Um, and, and, and so many of the different things we just talked about. You, you must have them all. Because if you, if you have a society that, that just rampantly finds itself engaging in uh, polygamous sex and, and, and such throughout, what, what happens? The society does fall apart. We know that. They, they, liberals like to think that it won't matter at all, but they never ask themselves the consequences, right? We know that. That's that, at the heart of every liberal, at least most of them, of course, is somebody who just doesn't ask, what, what, what are the consequences of this? And the same thing is true with their, their vision of gun control, their, their vision of abortion, their vision of everything that they think. They just don't think of the consequences. So, I'm, and I'm telling you, the consequences are pillars of society, and they will fall apart. And it's not like a three, you know, you need three legs at least for a stool, right? Um, so it's not a, it's it's not. A, I, I'm not using gravity as my as my main metaphor here. This is a stool, as it were, that requires all those things we just talked about. Not just three. It's not as if you can you can afford to have a society as long as you have three pillars, because by definition you need three for a stool, right? You need if they were seven of them, then you need seven of them. That's the way it works, and they just don't get it. And that's what we're fighting for. Going back to everything we just talked about, we are fighting for uh, the, the against the, the the created destruction, the orchestrated destruction of our society, because every one of them is a serious threat to who we are, where we will be, and so on. And Ted Cruz is is addressing exactly that. He's giving no quarter. He's saying, "I'm going to be that guy." So God bless him uh, for getting his hat in the ring. Uh, I know it's really early in the campaign. Who knows the twists and turns that this will take? We know that the media will be glomming onto him like nobody's business. We know the conservative establishment media, the Republican establishment media, will be coming at him even harder than the liberal media. Yeah, I know. I, I, you're 100% right. But he does not believe in detente with liberals. And, and nor should he, because every single one 
of the ideologies that they advance is, is destructive. Destructive. And we'll see, we'll see where it takes us. But, I mean, I, I like the, the line that, um, what's his name, who, who ran for president, uh, and he was on Fox News. Uh, he had his own show for a while. Huckabee. Huckabee, yeah. He said a very clever comment uh, once that I thought was very smart. When he was getting a lot of attention at one point as the primary uh, lead in the, in, the, in the 2008 election for the Republican nomination, he said, well, I must be doing something right. If, if I'm getting this much flack, I must be over the target, the target right? Yeah. And it's a smart comment. Um, the more attention that uh, Ted Cruz will get, well, means that perhaps they're, they're, they really feel threatened by him. Yeah, the other thing about him is in the history of him uh, being in office as a senator, he's done some things. And every time he's done something that was worthy of media attention, all he did was follow through on the promise he made to voters. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And for following through with the promises he made to voters, both the liberal and Republican establishment media attacked him and said, you, what are you doing here? You're wrecking our party, our chances to, to win. What, by, by coming through with a promise? I remember in 1976, uh, Ronald Reagan... Uh, considered a primary run against uh, uh, Gerald Ford. Ford. Yes, and uh, he didn't succeed. There was a primary attack upon upon him, and he lost the election barely, as it turns out. But nevertheless, lost to the likes of Jimmy Carter. And I remember that, that that's not the main point I want to bring up. The, the main point is how people spoke of Ronald Reagan the same way they're now speaking about Ted Cruz. And, and I was a young kid back then. I was 13, I guess, in the 76 election. And I remember asking my parents and, for that matter, other friends, saying, you know, who is this Ronald Reagan guy? Oh, he's very, very conservative. He's extremely conservative. And, and I didn't know too much about conservatism back then, one way or the other, or that I would so embrace him as a hero later on in my life, of course, right? And then uh, he does reached the nomination and, of course, the presidency in 1980. And, and people were talking about how scared they were that he was going to be this, this gonna president. He's going to blow up the world. He's going to blow up the world. And uh, he's Joe Conservative, and he's very scary, and um, watch out and such. And, and boy, we all, I mean, liberals and conservatives alike, we, we, <laughs> we not only look back on him fondly, with this was a great time, the 80s especially, and how we turned things around, of course. And it gave us a, na a national sense of great pride and such like that. But he also won by a landslide. That's, that's this, this crazy conservative, this far right-wing nut won not just in one landslide, but in two. And the second one was even bigger than the first. Yeah. Obama, we're told about how powerful he is. Obama's second election was a squeaker. It was a true squeaker, yeah. Reagan, in the first election, won like 43 states. Second, he wins 49 states. Yeah. Almost, and he won, he, he lost Minnesota, which was Mondale's home state, by a couple thousand votes. Yeah. He almost ran the table. Yeah. In a second term. Yeah. It would have been That's incredible. It, it, I mean, sorry, it was incredible. And, and this is where we are, because here's what people gravitate toward. What is the lesson to, lesson to be learned about this? The lesson is understand what works and what doesn't work, for one thing, and understand also 
that um, the American experiment, the true, which is true conservatism, right? And when you're studying American history, you're studying conservatism about the, the free speech and get, you know, government don't tread on me and, you know, uh, we don't, we don't want to be taxed so much and all that stuff. It's all about freedom and liberty. That's what our, our national anthem is all about, the home of the free and the... Uh, the land of the free. The, the land of the, the free, home of the brave. That's what it's all about. And, and no wonder the liberals want to erase all of history, right? American history, at the very least, or change it uh, a la Howard's Zinn, right? No, no, no wonder. But this is what they love doing. They, they, um, they love changing the history for that very purpose. But we, we just, we're just taking them back and saying, look, this is what has always worked. And this is truly a greatness. Not, that it, not only does it work, but it makes us great. And that's why it resonates so well. And that's why Ronald Reagan, with his City on the Hill speech and otherwise, so commanded all these voters, many of them liberals. I mean, he had to win a ton of liberals to win this way. To win that and, many states. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and likewise, we have a president today, Obama, who is, in, your, in my opinion, far worse than Jimmy Carter was, far more incompetent, far more um, sinister in, in many ways. By, and far more powerful at far more being powerful, effective yeah. at getting this crazy agenda through. Right. I mean, I, I, never, I never ascribed bad intentions to Jimmy Carter. I truly just thought he was incompetent. He was just a bad president because he was truly incompetent. But this president, Obama, there's something odd about him, as we said in one of our previous podcasts. It's one of our one of our, our most successful podcasts, by the way. There's something odd about Obama, uh, and, and I think it resonates for a lot of people. So anyway, I, I, here we are coming upon an election, 2016, where I think we're facing a very. Uh, it could be an election of stark contrasts. Now the difference, of course, is that in 1980, Ronald Reagan was running against the incumbent president, and in this case. Ted Cruz will be running, if he's a nominee, against a new Democratic nominee. But in reality, if it's Clinton, um, it's, it, 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 it's in essence an incumbent well, party, isn't the it? The reason it's an incumbent party is because any of the people on the Democrat bench, and I'll just list like five of them, Warren, Clinton, Biden, Brown, and uh, O'Malley, all five of them appeal to the Democrat party hard left liberal uh, quasi-communist base. All of them. They are all just another version of Obama by a different name. So... It's it's part of the part of the Obama cronies, yeah. uh, the the Obama way of thinking, and and Clinton is is no different. Yeah, but the, everyone in that party and, and, has been corrupted to that. So. Oh yeah, no, no clearly they, they are the Borg at this point, like from the the, the next generation Star Trek. I didn't like that episode, that uh, TV series very much, but they had a very good series called the Borg series, where everyone kind of fell into line uh, among in, in, among this alien species called the Borg, and they just did whatever the the master decided they should believe. Or we could quote the who, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Well, yeah. Don't get fooled again. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but it's, it's the, the Democratic base has been corrupted. There's something wrong about the, the Democratic base now. It's no longer the party of Scoop Jackson and, 
and um, John F. Kennedy, John Kennedy, and yeah. Lloyd Benson, for that matter, and all those. Yes, I know these are the guys from the, from a generation or two ago, but they were far more reasonable and proud of their country. Uh, they, they they wanted America to succeed, and they took on uh, policies that were what we consider conservative today, including the lowering of taxes and such. And Ted, the confrontation against communism. Right. That was. That's right. And Ted Kennedy, by the way. As, as much as we despised him as a, uh, as, as a liberal senator later on in his life, you know, he was the one who deregulated the airline industry. People don't, don't know that, but he was the one who pushed it. God knows why. It was completely inconsistent with everything he believed, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe it was a lobbying effort. But putting that aside, look at the orchestrated destruction that we see. It's, it, and what do I mean by this? I mean, all that Obama has done it reflects the Saul Alinsky mantra of orchestrating a destruction of the United States. This is what Saul Alinsky wanted. And we see it in many different ways. Um, there's a great article, by the way, that, that you handed off to me uh, recently, and I wish I could quote it. Um, but they, they list these things, and not in terms of orchestrated destruction, that's, I guess that's my idea, but this list is so helpful to, to, to illuminate how much has been going on. We forget, we forget about how he's pulling out of Iraq. That's, that's wildly destructive. How he wants to get rid of Gitmo. Again, destructive. The FCC takeover of the internet. Obamacare. Do I need to say more about Obamacare? Uh, how he's trying to weaken and ultimately leave Israel in the lurch, right? How he's trying to regulate the banks, uh, the, using the IRS to go after enemies of, uh, of, of Obama using the Justice Department as a political tool, not as a justice tool, but as a political tool, to spy on journalists, uh, how he slashes the military, how he's opening the borders in such an extremely reckless way, how he doubles the debt without batting an eye, and, and student loans and, and uh, letting that spiral out of control. And there are so many more things, right? I mean, the, the, the complete utter disregard of foreign policy. I mean, ISIS and everything else. This is all destructive. Everything. Anyway, I, I, uh, and now I think it's, everything is coming into stark relief. This could be a very big, big election. And God bless this country. We, we need a turnabout. I think we can do it. I think we really can. Orchestrated destruction. That's what we are seeing from the left. It's a very different game. And we need to change it. And the only way to do it is to embrace Americanism, understand how wonderful Americanism has, has been to the world at large, to ourselves, and to our own souls. Um, we can't uh, survive without it. All right, when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about some great philosophical issues of the day. Uh, don't, go away. don't go away. We'll be right back. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you recently handled a case where one brother was suing his two brothers, your clients. What happened? Well, Dennis, the two brothers struggled but succeeded to build three restaurants. But when the third brother returned from being out of the country for 20 years, he sued to get one-third of their business. He claimed an oral deal between them because he had once worked as a cook for them. So what did you do? 
Well, during trial, we got him to acknowledge certain key dates and to his complete lack of documentation. So when his side rested, we asked the court for what's called a directed verdict, a motion that gets rid of a case after fatal facts come out during trial. And the court agreed, shooting down all but one of the brothers' causes of action. And we settled that one for a very small amount and excused the jury. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. So to make sure a deal is done right, call him for your own legal issues at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie & Park, 866-575-8111. So it, it strikes me, uh, the inf- we just received information word that the Pentagon has released the findings of Bergdahl and that they are going to pursue a court-martial of former sergeant, I think it was, Bergdahl, who had uh, left his post in Afghanistan and ended up with the bad guys, the Taliban. All right. And they are going to pursue a court-martial of him for desertion and other inappropriate military conduct. Um, The possible penalties will be for uh, life, imprisonment, or even the death penalty. And he's going to be demoted down to the lowest rank. Ah, well, that's that's too far. <laughs> no, he look and 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 here and and there's a reason why we're bringing it up not just as a, a single news item. This is emblematic of a much larger picture, and you'll see what we're going to be talking about in a moment. But let's talk about this first in depth, which is you'll remember, you'll recall, Ari, that the parents were invited to the White House. And in the Rose Garden and everything, and Obama proudly displayed the fact that he obtained the release of Bergdahl in exchange for five wildly vicious terrorists from Gitmo, right? And somehow this was supposed to be a wonderful thing. And five billion dollars. Oh, that's right. Five billion dollars. Five billion. Not million. Billion dollars to Al-Qaeda. I'm going to check about Google on this, by the way, whether or not billion is worth more than a a million. So bear with me for a second. Well, so it is. Billion with a B is a lot more than a million. You know what? It's worth a thousand more. And here's a little known fact, by the way. Not a thousand more, not one million, one thousand. Right. It's worth one thousand times a million. (laughs) Being a little cheeky here. But, and, and it turns out that a trillion is, is a thousand times more than a billion. Okay, why are we bringing this up? Because if I, it's just such a preposterous, uh, just ungodly result. Now, this, you know, it just, it just dawned on me, Ari. This deal that we got with Bergdahl, right? Think about it. Think about it. Even if, oh my God, I just I can't wrap my mind around this. We're going to talk about in a moment about uh, whether or not this is intentional and whether that he is is trying to hurt the country or whether you know putting it on the, in the with the best face whether he's just a bad uh, he got a very raw deal in this in this situation meaning Obama right okay if th- this same president who made this deal okay 
which is so transparently a horrible deal, right? $5 billion, like you said, I forgot about that point, five horrible terrorists being released into the wild, as it were, who, who are going to create such mischief in exchange for a deserter, a nobody, uh, a bad guy. A criminal. One of a them. criminal. One of them. Uh, so, so, okay, clearly a bad deal, right? This is the same administration that is now negotiating with Iran. Okay? I just realized something. What's that? The Taliban got totally, or Al-Qaeda, got totally ripped off on this deal. <laughs> if they had held out, they would have gotten a nuclear weapon. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, I mean, but you see my point. But, yeah, but you got mine. That's how easy it is to extract a why, why doesn't anyone say this? I just really, maybe that's the reason why. We're just putting this all together. You want this team that negotiated this deal with Bergdahl, okay, to now go to Iran and negotiate in our interest. You think you're going to get a better deal than that. <laughs> so Obama's, I mean, what's to stop Obama from going to the, to the microphone after this Iranian deal that he gets? And he's going to say, because he's going to try to force, he's going to take it to the people, you understand, and before he gets Congress to agree to it, because he has to get Congress to agree to it. So he'll go to the microphone and say the following. Today, we secured a treaty, subject to Congress, of course, that provides the following. First, that we give all of our nuclear bombs to Iran, <laughs> that Iran is allowed to enrich as much uranium and make its own bombs as it likes, that we agree to the annihilation of Israel, and that we pay Iran $3 trillion with a T. In exchange, Iran promises to consider not developing too many more bombs. I'm very proud of our team <laughs> for this incredible endeavor that took many months, but now we have secured peace in our time. Thank you. And, and he'll say that in such a way that he'll actually think that people will think he's brilliant. Okay? Now, obviously, that deal's horrifically terrible, uh, but in his mind, he would think that's somehow good. In other words, as long as you get anything out of the deal, even a promise to consider being nice, well, then it's worth whatever money you pay for it. Apparently, that's what happened with Bergdahl. Is that, is that correct? Bergdahl? Yeah, Bergdahl. Bergdahl. Yeah. Uh, $5 billion? I mean, it's, 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 it's un. Unimaginable. I mean, $5 would be too much, but $5 billion? Even $5 million would be obscene. Yeah, it's like I would be just as outraged with the words $5 million as I am outraged with $5 billion. But how many, how many taxpayers had to work how many hours to get $5 billion that we now give to the Taliban? Right? I, mean, I just want to know. I, I'd like to do a montage scene of all the taxpayers working as hard as they are so that they can give that money that is now going, the $5 billion, that is now going to the Taliban. How about that? That'd be kind of a cute movie, right? They once did a movie, by the way, speaking on that, uh, called The Gun. And it was kind of like that, where they wanted to show the mayhem that this one gun caused. And... and 
it showed a history of this gun being purchased from one person to the other, being dropped in a scene of a crime, somebody else picking up and creates more crime and such like that. So it, it, it was actually the, the history of this gun, right? It was an interesting idea, putting aside that it's disingenuous for other reasons. But So why not do the same thing? Right? With, with, watch, look at all the money, how, how hard people work to get this money in. All the baristas pulling espresso shots. Right. All the fry chefs slavering over hot oil. Yeah, the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, uh, paying their employees and then paying payroll taxes on top of that. Just think of it, all those things. And, and now, here you go. Yeah. Five billion. By, by some schmuck in the administration to whom four billion, five billion, same thing, right? I mean, five million, five billion, it's the same thing to him. Whatever you want, just so that we can get this Bergdahl guy back. That's it's really As if there aren't real Americans held in captivity. Yeah. Yeah, why, why don't we spend five billion? We, we, why don't we spend five billion dollars on, on the actual, what, what was the name of the guy who was beheaded? The, the, the tribe, Jim something. Yeah, Chris, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, Obama played golf and, you know, after announcing yeah. it and such. But anyway, you know that there's, <clears throat> that there are many of these the, Americans the who are held The Taliban only, well, I mean, uh, ISIS only mm-hmm. wanted a hundred grand for him. Right. So a bargain. Why? Why are we doing this exactly? What? What's the deal? What? What's the benefit out of all this for the deserter that you got? And the terrorists we sent back, those weren't shahids. Those weren't guys who strap on bombs on them. They were like generals in the Taliban. Right. <clears throat> this is getting Al-Qaeda. General Washington, so to speak, out yeah. there. All right. So let's talk about the the bigger picture. Well, can I just say one thing real fast? Because I think this is the real kicker to all this. Hillary Clinton gave a speech the other day, and she was talking about the Obama foreign policy. And she said, what we engage in is what we like to call smart power. (laughs) Smart. This is is smart. (laughs) I hate to see what they define as stupid. My... um my good friend Christian Whiten, uh, who formerly worked for the State Department under Bush, great guy, incredibly brilliant, and he's actually uh, he talks on Fox News quite a bit. He wrote a book titled "Smart Power," uh, with an emphasis on Korea and the Middle East, and it's a it's a fantastic book. It's a must read. Smart Power, and there he he talks exactly about smart power, but how you must always uh, couple. Diplomacy with some bombs right behind you, <laughs> with some real military might. That's smart power. Okay, it's 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 like the the Harry Reid approach of power, which is um, you you must you must have the power, carry the power with you, and you don't have to exercise it. Everyone knows you've got it. The Harry Reasoner. Harry Reasoner. You're right. Not Harry Reid. Very different animal. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry, sorry, Harry Reasoner, <laughs> uh, the late Harry Reasoner. Anyway, um, look, it just—it's just uncanny that nobody has kind of coupled this together and said, "This is the same team, the one that got Bergdahl released for this crazy deal," and we're sending out the exact same team to go do the Iran deal. Right? Yeah, and, and I mean, it's—it's yeah. it's like, it's like movie directors. Right? If, if, you're a, if you've made a terrible bomb of a movie, guess what? No one's going to ask you to make another movie again. Right? Even if, I mean, especially if you've done one terrible movie after the other. Right? They'll say, okay, you know, John Smith, uh, we gave you a shot, and we ain't giving you another shot. We're not giving you another $60 million to make a movie that we know is going to bomb. Okay? You, you just don't got it. Okay? 
And you would say the same thing with, uh, with an employee, uh, that you, you, you give them a chance and then it continues to fail and you would say, okay, employee, you're out the door. Um, you know, and, and it's or a writer, if you want, or a um, a band, or right? a plumber. Or you pl- install some pipe, and the house gets flooded. Yeah, we're not hiring you again. Uh, it's a very good point. I, I went to a car mechanic recently. He he had done a fantastic. They had done a fantastic job. I went back to them. They did a fantastic job again. So guess what? I had some car trouble uh, recently again. Reserviced my engine and such like that. I went to them. Right? <laughs> That's the way it works. But when it comes to the administration, well, they <laughs> make these horrible deals, and we are supposed to somehow think that they're going to make a great deal now with Iran. Never mind that they don't tell us any details of it whatsoever. Never mind that the Ayatollah is saying death to America during the entire negotiation strategy. That's a good one. And, I mean, then, and then this administration has turned around saying, oh, yeah, that's just meant for domestic consumption. Yeah. He's got to appeal to his base. You know? Marie Harf said that yesterday. Oh, of course. But, but you know what? This, this uh, administration doesn't know anything from history because what ha- this happened exactly the same way back in 1993 with the Oslo Peace Accord. And I will remind you because it's exactly what Rabin and Perez said. Exactly. There was there were three reports. One was uh, when they announced the Oslo Peace Accord, and they proudly announced it. The Americans announced something to the effect of Oslo, Norway. The Israelis and Palestinians, apparently after uh, months of negotiating in Oslo, have hammered out a, uh, a peace negotiation whereby there will be autonomy to the Palestinian territories, and Israel will do this. And they started talking about the eventual... Uh, you know details, but it was it was generalities. Uh, the parties hoped to reach a final peace accord in the year 1990, in late 1994, something like that. The Israeli version was more or less the same, a few more details, but that's about it. <clears throat> the Arab version it went something like this: We are now one step further to destroying the infidel. <laughs> uh, they have bought our peace treaty, and they put peace in quotes, <laughs> and then they, we will soon acquire uh, autonomy in the West Bank, from which we will launch our final offensive into Israel. And they, they say it. And so they, they, they queried Mr. Arafat about this, and he said, oh, that's for public consumption. That's for our people. That's what they need to hear. And so the Israelis, meaning Rabin and, and Perez, said, okay, cool. Okay, guess what? And then there was the, the biggest intifada and the most lives lost on the Israeli side right after that peace accord. So much for peace. Yeah, but right? this one... It was a true Trojan yeah. horse. Yeah, but this is even worse because yeah. we're constantly told that the problem is the mullahs and the Iranian people love us. Right. Exactly right. So which is it? Oh, that, that's a good point. Oh, so, so I not even the comedy is just fine. It's those horrible people that rose up against him that... Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perversion. And it's also worse in the sense that the Iranians are threatening us with a nuclear bomb. The Palestinian, the, the, those in the territories at least, don't, don't even have a chance of getting a bomb. rocks, I mean, knives, right, maybe well, a bomb. They, 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 they throw Molotov cocktails. They can do a lot of mayhem, but it's not a nuclear bomb for crying out loud. So, big difference. Anyway, more to your point, when they say it's for public consumption, uh, it's disingenuous for so many different reasons. But imagine, for example, I mean, I'm going to talk about this on my Sunday show, but imagine I have a dispute with uh, somebody, uh, or my client has a dispute with somebody for a million dollars, okay? And they don't want to pay the million dollars. 
they say, I only owe you $10 at most. I, that's why I'll give you $10. And you decide to have a mediation. And a mediation is an effort to try to resolve it informally. It's not like litigation in court. You meet in a conference room. There's a mediator who tries to help out. And he says, how can we bring each other closer? So imagine, if you will, one person saying, listen, uh, I provided you services, I gave you invoices, uh, and they all amount to a million dollars. You never complained about my, my services, whether, let's say, accounting services or whatever. And I, I would really appreciate if you could pay me soon. You know, if you, if you want, I can, I can get paid over time, work that out with you, maybe even take a 10% discount or something like that. How, how do you feel about, uh, about that? And the person on the other end of the table says, death to you. I kill you. <laughs> And the mediator says, okay, well, um, what I'm hearing from him is that he doesn't really want to um, really negotiate right now, but, but, but how, how would, how would if you, you raise your number a little bit? I kill you. <laughs> uh, all right, well, how about if, if you would just pay us $800,000 and, um, you know, maybe over five years, would that, would that work for you? I kill you. I kill you soon. And all your, your children, yes. All right. Um, how about? <laughs> uh, I'm hearing that you don't want, they don't like the 800 number. That's right. I kill you. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, $500,000. How about that? Over 10 years? Is that? I, I think that would work, don't you? And the mediator, the mediator nods and said, yeah, I think that's good. I will eat your entrails for lunch. (laughs) You get the idea. I mean, this is, it's so absurd. This is what we're dealing with. Well, I know what's so interesting about the example you just gave. A few days ago, James Clapper, National Security Director, you know, essentially the head of the CIA, (laughs) is on with Charlie Rose. Right. And they're having a conversation in which Clapper says, Iran probably has seven to eight bombs either built or ready to assemble. And they have these uh, centrifuges spinning for enrichment purposes constantly so that they will be able to build many more. Yeah. And Charlie Rose's response was, well, that's interesting. So how are the negotiations going? But what was striking is these people are basically saying the theater is on fire right. or the plane is about to crash into the mountain. And they're perfectly calm. Yeah. The plane is about to crash in the mountain. We're all about to burn to death. But that's okay, because I really think we'll be able to reach an agreement on the rate that we burn to death. Right. Yeah, just totally calm, just like that meteor. No hysteria that a violent thug is in the same room with you and is about to pull your eyes out. Yeah, that's... Uh... I, at, at what point uh, are we so sedated from our own emotional connection to reality uh, that we either stay that way. When do we get upset? When are we allowed to be upset anytime now over you, this? Because this subject, nuclear Iran, it makes me hysterical. Well, you're not allowed to ever get upset because uh, my friend uh, Ari David, I believe his name was, uh, referred to a concept called year zero. And year zero applies not only to Cambodia and other countries that in, you know invent a whole new history and then want you to ignore the previous history. It applies, and I'm going to extend it for you, I think it also applies to this administration. And it, it wants you to forget all of his foibles in the past, that everything should be judged as it is right now. Don't judge me. 
about my total fiasco in Obamacare. Don't judge me based upon my total uh, mishandling of the Iraq pullout. Don't judge me regarding uh, Yemen. Don't judge me regarding Bergdahl and so on. And we'll talk about all those things in In a moment. In other words, if I bring up any of those things, I'm just not moving on. I'm living in the past. That's right. That's right. So, you know, it's it's like the movie director I was just telling you about that constantly fails in every single movie, every endeavor, and then he expects, he gets angry when you don't give him a shot. Yeah, because that was so last year. Yeah, that's right. right. But but I have a new idea. Yeah, a new idea. It it looks very similar to the old idea, but nevertheless, this time it's going to work. Okay, you get the idea. All right, so this this brings us to the next point, And, and it's a point of... Uh, it's an analytical point, and I I know so far, you know, in, in this segment of our podcast that we've we've we seem a little partisan, and and we're not. That's Us? the funny thing. No. But 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 whether you're a Democrat or Republican, liberal, conservative, it, it you have to agree that there's something very odd about that deal, the Bergdahl deal, and we're simply saying, look, if if you have confidence. In the Bergdahl deal, by the, by all means, let's let's negotiate right now with Iran. I mean, I, I, to me, I'm concerned. Okay, this this guy's not competent to negotiate. Clearly, the deal that he struck with Bergdahl is patently absurd. Even if he were a, a war hero, we wouldn't. It would not be a good deal. But the fact that he was a deserter makes it all the more frustrating. Okay. So we want to. We, we've been partisan about it. Sounds like we're partisan, but you you. It's actually fairly objective. And now I want to be even more objective in some sense. Okay. You hear a lot about how Obama is the most intelligent man in the room. Okay. So if you're a liberal and you feel that Obama is, quote, unquote, the most intelligent man in the room, whatever room he's going to, then by all means, uh, you're entitled to that opinion. Uh, why you have that opinion is, is a bit of a mystery to me, but let's just go with it for the, for the sake of discussion. All right. You would agree with me, Ari, that if you were the most intelligent man in the room or in the country for that matter, that you should make very good decisions on a fairly consistent basis. Not 100%, but let's say 9.5 times out of 10, your decisions are good and solid and they lead to good results. Fair enough? Yeah, that would, in fact, be the very definition right. of being an intelligent person I, in the room or most intelligent in the room. Right, I, I think so. I mean, it, it, let's put it this way. If, if a weatherman constantly got the weather wrong, you'd say, I don't know if I want to rely on this weatherman, right? If, however, he gets it right 9.5 times out of 10 or 19 out of 20, I guess, then you'd say, I can rely on this man. Good. You got it. So intelligent people tend to make good decisions, okay? Because otherwise, what's the point of being intelligent, right? And and when you when you assign somebody the role of president of the United States, it's you're not you don't care about necessarily about his intelligence. You care about his decisions, and hopefully they're informed decisions that lead to good results. Okay, so the intelligence is only necessary so much as it allows the president to make a good decision and therefore one that leads to a good result. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think we all agree with this. Now, let's study the tableau, as they say in French, the the big picture. Uh, We have an analysis to make. And imagine, if you will, a diagram where 
uh, and, and you can kind of flush it out for me, Ari, if, if I don't remember it perfectly. A square. A square with four, four different quadrants. quadrants, right? On the bottom left, uh, bottom sorry, the, the left half is a, is a half where it says, um, you know, merely incompetent. Okay, both the you know, top and bottom of that is merely incompetent. And one is, is um, uh, merely incompetent with stupidity, merely incompetent with intelligence on the top, right? On the right-hand side, what would you say? Deliberate. Ah, that's right. Deliberate. And, and I think, uh, okay, merely incompetent on the left side. The top half is evil. The bottom quarter is just stupid. Yes, thank you. Evil to stupid. Right. With incompetence and then intentional on the right side. Evil and stupid in the two core upper and right. upper of that one. That's true. You could be uh, stupid and do evil things, so you could be intelligent and do stupid things. Very good. All right. Uh, so, so imagine that. Now, which quadrant does Obama belong in? Okay. Is he intelligent and doing stupid things? You get the idea. Now, somebody will say, well, wait a minute, Mr. Lurie, that's not really fair. I mean, where's the quadrant or the, if it's a fifth quadrant or as, as it were, a fifth block where it says that he's both intelligent and he's effective and not evil. Right. Okay, but well, that would be like right in the middle. But, it would, it but would be none right. of the things we're going to list are going to be anywhere near the middle. Right, because the, the things we're listing here are all incompetent results. They're all bad results. Let's put it that way. Okay, and the question that we're going to pose to you is: Is it deliberate, or is it simply incompetent? Now, and, and really, I want to be objective about this. All right. Um, First, and this is no particular order, let's look at all the bungling things that, that this administration has done. And we started off today's, uh, not today's, but this segment's uh, uh, part of the podcast with Bergdahl. Okay, we, we know that that Bergdahl deal was horrible. Anyone looking in in hindsight would say, whether you're a liberal or conservative, say, yeah, no, we really goofed up this one. Let's put they, it they in can, world terms. Bad move dude. Bad move dude, exactly right. right. That's right. So, you know, a liberal might look at it and say, look, we just didn't have enough information at the time, and uh, we, we thought that he was uh, a good man, and, and you know, you got to respect the administration for trying to bring back one of its soldiers. You know, I, could, I can see them arguing that. And in fact, what else would they argue? Right? That, that's the essence of what they could argue, right? Uh, but yeah, we have to agree that $5 billion for this guy, maybe not such a good decision. Okay? So I, I think everyone would agree the Bergdahl deal, whether you're a liberal or conservative, it just it was a bad, bad deal. Okay. Then some other things. The way he dealt with the Iraqi pullout, for example. Okay? We, that, that was stupid, right? I mean, you don't have to like the Iraq war. I get that. But... Given that we were in the Iraq War, you have to pull out the correct way. All right, it's it's just that's the way it is. You know, you <clears throat> you, you don't um, if you found yourself all of a sudden uh, in a situation where you're in uh, I don't know, you drive your car to a, a nasty area of town. Um, you don't uh, just decide that you're going to kill everyone around you. You just you have to deal with it in a different way. The facts on the ground are. You're in a bad area of town. How do you get out, given that you're in a bad area of town? Don't say that, well, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. The fact, there, the fact is you are there. In the, and, and now how do you deal with it, right? Um, likewise, if you, if, you, uh, 
if you find somebody who's suffering from some sort of ailment, who's been hit by a car, and you start delivering some medical attention to it, you can't just abandon it, right? He might die in the process. So it, anyway, it was everyone acknowledges now, or should acknowledge honestly, that pulling out of Iraq without a single man left behind was irresponsible. Bad move, dude. Bad move, dude. Very irresponsible at the very least. Okay? So let's just agree that it's irresponsible. Not, right now, we're not ascribing evil intentions to it. Just we're saying it's a bad, bad idea. All right. Now, no, not we. You, me, not. <laughs> no, no, we'll get there. We'll okay, get there. Fine. <laughs> we'll get there because we might actually find that we agree. But we'll see. Oh, you'll agree with me sooner or later. But yeah. All right. <clears throat> now we have um, again not any particular order because there's so many things going on. We have the Professor Gates situation. You remember that situation where uh, he, Obama jumped in all of a sudden to say that the that the Cambridge police acted stupidly in uh, confronting the professor, when in fact they acted very correctly. And the person who acted stupidly was the professor, who breaks into his own home, police show up just to make sure everything's okay, and he starts bad-mouthing them. Right. So, giving them the reason to think that his house was broken into. So, again, another question, another is impulsive behavior, at best, of the president, right? Uh, then we have uh, Trayvon Martin, Trayvon being, he could he could have been my son. He gets involved in the soup on that, and then it turns out that you know the guy did nothing wrong, and the jury found that the guy had done nothing wrong. Okay, you know, and, and, and nevertheless he feels it's outrageous. Same thing with the Michael Brown affair, the gentle giant as you like to call him, or that the media like to call him at the time. And it turns out that uh, the Darren Wilson story was exactly right, and uh, not only did the uh, the the Missouri. Uh, investigation clear him, but even the federal investigation cleared him. Even Eric Holder had to clear him. So again, they jumped into that and they said, this is about race relations. This is Obama administration inserting itself. They sent people down. They're going to investigate everything. They invest, They pushed the federal investigation, even though there was no, the, the grand jury had already acquitted him and such. Then of course, there's Iran. And the dealings with Iran um, altogether, the, the, the 2009 uh, revolution that never happened because Obama just sat on his hands, didn't give a slight word of, not even the slightest word of encouragement when the opportunity was right there. Why didn't you do that, Mr. Obama? Why? So uh, we, we know the reason why. He has an, an affinity for Islam. He, the last thing he wanted was some sort of success in Iran that would change the whole dynamic. I don't think he wants uh, yeah. a, a truly democratic Iran. I think I think the fact that uh, Iran is still out there, being as menacing as possible, uh, it, it's it, he's acted so consistently uh, with wanting to to maintain the status quo with Iran. Yeah, and in both the situation of Iran and the situation of Egypt, it's not like a non-Muslim government would be in place. These are Muslim-majority countries. Oh, right. Most yeah. of the governance is going to be Islamic the, or, or Islamic people. Right. The question is, what kind of government? A strict theocracy based on the Muslim Brotherhood's ideology or the Mullah's ideology or something more like al-Sisi? Well, let, let, let's talk about that. And so the next thing is Egypt and how he dealt with Egypt and, and how he backed the Muslim Brotherhood against the Morsi government 
and how Al-Sisi, uh, now he's, he's almost against Al-Sisi, when Al-Sisi is the one saying we need a moderation and we, that he's embarrassed about the fanatic Muslims and everything else. After the people came back and wanted Al-Sisi. Right, and he fought against them. Right. He warned the Muslim Brotherhood, and he invites the Muslim Brotherhood into the White House and otherwise. Very odd. Yeah, but right? my point it's, is, yes. What I'm, what I'm saying, because we have such a long list, unfortunately, Mr. Obama has given us a long list, and we need to get through it, and then I want to analyze it. I don't want to discuss every single oh, one. Oh, okay. And then we can, because they're emblematic of all the, the problems. So Egypt, he backed the wrong horse yet again, right? You can, I'm not even describing yet bad intentions. We'll leave that to the quadrant. We'll put all the little dots in the right place and such. Um, and he, he backed the Muslim Brotherhood on this. He, he wanted the Muslim Brotherhood to succeed in Egypt. And he got very agitated when they were overthrown. Yeah, in both cases, he backed theocracy over democracy. Very weird, right? You would think the other way. Uh, same thing um, with uh, Libya. Libya, you know, this is the one where he led from behind, and and uh, and he's unable to deal really with, with the Libyan takeover. And having succeeded to overthrow Gaddafi, and God knows why he wanted to overthrow Gaddafi. He wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, he'd been a horrible man, a brutal dictator before, certainly. But he, he played nice for decades since Ronald Reagan threatened everything. And since uh, Bush took over Iraq, he said, uh, we're abandoning our nuclear program and proved it. So, so well, how is that a success? Again, he backed the wrong horse on that one, and Libya descended into chaos, and there was no planning as to how to undo, uh, what to do once Libya got rid of Gaddafi. And so now Gaddafi, uh, Libya ended up in chaos and followed up with, of course, Benghazi. And Benghazi is the next thing we want to talk about, how we're now coming to light very clearly, uh, and it doesn't matter how you portray this. You can't spin it any other way. It's, they screwed up. They just screwed up big time. And, they and just then said, lied because that video had nothing to do with that incident. Correct. And so, again, impulsive behavior. They panicked, and they said, we got to find a pretext. we got to say we didn't know this was happening, and that it was suddenly this spontaneous video that, that erupted this riot, and now we know better. Okay? And the investigation will re reveal more. But we know, no matter how you slice it, it was a very bad decision. All right. Uh, we talked about Bergdahl, of course. Um, we talked about uh, the Iranian Revolution in 2009. And then there's Syria. Okay, so here you are with the chemical weapons. And then he t talks about a red line that he doesn't want to, to cross. By the way, borrowing from a phrase from Bibi Netanyahu, who had been talking about the red line in Iran. So now Obama's using the same phrase. Uh, After mocking Netanyahu for using it, right. of all things. That's right. So, so then, uh, then, of course, the chemical weapons are used, and they don't actually take anything. And then they talk about how they will, they, he gets a, he'll get authority from Congress to use military force, but that military force, he didn't even need the, the, the authority for it. And then he, he, he said through John Kerry that it'll be unbelievably small, the response. Well, if it's unbelievably small, then why even do anything at all? What is it, a firecracker Are you going to light up? You know, what, what's, what's unbelievably small? Yeah, and it was just for political purposes that if there were troops sent, he could then, because remember, this is 2011 going into the 2012 election, so he could pay under to his base and say, see those Republicans, they sent those troops, not me. 
In other words, he I'm, used, I'm, he used uh, genuine disastrous world events that created horrible pain and mayhem for people on the ground and used them cynically for political fodder. Right. Okay, I, I, I'm with you. He does that, but but let's let's stick to the to the impulsive decisions because that's I mean there's a lot of things that emanate from this. But I'm simply saying here's the red line. He shouldn't even said the red line if he's not going to push forward and actually do something about it, right? Again, impulsive words and lack of follow through. The red line wasn't as red as we thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So and then of course letting Assad uh, do as much mayhem as, as he wants so long as he doesn't use chemical weapons. I mean, all the rape and torture is totally fine yeah, with totally us. Totally fine. But just don't do use chemicals, don't you know? All right. So then uh, Israel and Bibi Netanyahu. That's, of course, a big one. Uh, the most recent uh, colossal mistake is his effort to... Um, steal the election. To steal the election from, from, from Netanyahu and make... Uh, him the loser and to express his disapproval and not appear at the con- congressional hearings, only giving more fodder for Bibi Netanyahu, more attention to Bibi Netanyahu, presumably something he didn't want to achieve. Uh, but there it is. So again, impulsive, petulant, and petty. Right? Um, a lot of alliteration there, I think. That was good poetry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and then, of course, his failure to deal with uh, well with Hamas during the, the two wars that he presided over, meaning that Obama actually three wars that he presided over, and uh, how he essentially backed Hamas instead of um, backing Israel, uh, paying lip service, of course, to Israel, but talking all the time about uh, how Israel has to minimize its casualties and and, 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 and not hey, hold on, hold on. Has to minimize, uh, Israel has to minimize inflicting casualties upon the Palestinians, while at the same time not expressing any anger whatsoever regarding all the rockets that were being launched into Israel and all the efforts, you know, with the tunnels and everything else to, to sabotage Israel from within. That's, I mean, clearly that was just a stupid, stupid positioning. Yeah. Yeah. Including shutting down the airport. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, remember he wouldn't shut down the travel ban or institute the travel bans from Ebola countries. Bring them on in. But oh, yeah. Israel, because a, a rocket lands miles from their airport, we're not going to allow any Americans to fly in on American carriers into Israel. Yeah, Ebola was, uh, it's another good example. We didn't even write that down initially, but Ebola, the, the way he handled that was, at first he led us into this huge panic. And then, uh, having created the panic, he, he allows uh, uh, these people who are infected with Ebola into the country. No problem. Yeah, and I don't what, think. What's up with that, as they say? Yeah, and we didn't put on the list, but the same was true of the. The immigration crisis. Remember, we invited all the people in, and they bring all these diseases and overload the system, and then they park them in in cities far north of the southern border. Yeah, uh, he he, open, he opens up the the borders there, and and no one's even talking about that anymore. It's still happening. Hundreds of thousands of young kids, because of the the, the they they decided that somehow. The kids are going to get amnesty, even if the adults don't. So therefore, all these lone children are, are flooding over the over the border. It's crazy. So again, an, an inability to deal with reality. Uh, he doesn't enforce the border laws. Uh, hence, the whole uh, conflict that he had with uh, uh, Jan Brewer, the, uh, the the governor of Arizona, um, and all the problems that he had with Texas as well, for the same reason. Anyway, I'm continuing on. Um, we have the problem, of course, with the IRS, the emails, 
Um, now, there's, in, in his defense, uh, it has not yet been established that he was behind it, but his um, insistence that there's not a smidgen of corruption. Um, <laughs> like, well, why doesn't he say um, that, gosh, you know, if the IRS is doing something illicit like this, you know, as much as I'm, I'm not a fan of conservative policies, I, I, you know, fair is fair, and we need to make sure that we don't have this sort of bias in the IRS. Yeah, I don't want the IRS someday for to serve a conservative government the way, yeah. you know, against liberals. So, and so say that. we're going after them, and we're going to stop this, and I want Congress to do a full-on investigation. No. So, so again, impulsive words and failure to follow through. All right. We talked about Benghazi. Uh, there's also the stimulus, of course, which was, you know, in, in his mind, it's a knee-jerk reaction to throw literally, what was it, $2 trillion over two stimuli, right? Uh, neither of which worked, only f- for him to finally say at a news conference, well, I guess uh, the shovel-ready jobs that we thought uh, were out there were not so shovel-ready. Yeah. Okay, oh, thanks. Hey. Thanks, Mr. President. Thank, thank you for... Think, realizing after the fact uh, that, that, that that's it's like it's like giving a kid a, a, a keys to a car, and he says, "I'm not going to hurt anybody," and uh, and he's also tired at the same time. And he's, he's just he simply doesn't know how to drive, and he says it's all going to be okay. And then of course he gets in a, a horrible car accident, and he goes, "Oh, I, I guess I guess it wasn't such a good idea." That's that's not the way we do things, Mr. President. You need to follow through on this. Yeah, and this is uh, assuming that works meant good for the economy. Meanwhile, the stimulus did work for all of his constituent groups, who all benefited from the money. I mean, it was a it was a payoff. Yeah, that's true. Then there's a Keystone Pipeline. How he refuses to do anything there. Now that, in, in its defense, it's not impulsive, but it's simply a, a, a Hamlet a hesitation. It's a paralysis at best. When in fact the uh, uh, the environment is actually saved by the Keystone and such. Now again, that's a that's a positioning from the conservative, you could say, from the conservative side. But in reality, um, even the the Democrats were saying the Keystone pipeline would be a good thing. Even the EPA said it was acceptable. The union members wanted it for all those jobs. Yeah. So so it's clearly it was. It was a, t- a terrible decision, including his decision not to allow offshore drilling, which in turn led to the BP oil disaster that started in the first year, I believe, or second year of his presidency, uh, because it was so far off and it was so hard to access now because it was the offshore drilling was not allowed. Yeah, near to shore. It was in extremely right. deep water. That's right. Uh, then you also have uh, China, which ta- is taking over islands um, uh, throughout Asia, that's creating more friction with Japan, and and that's that's a demilitarization, that the minimizing of our of our military, because you know after all, we don't need the military, we don't need to be the the policemen, which itself is the most naive and impetuous uh, decision that he's made so far. Uh, then, you know, other small things like uh, Honduras, how he did, failed to back the, the correct party there, realized after the fact that he shouldn't have done that. I mean, really, this is just bizarre behavior. This, it, it was the wrong decision. We all know it was the wrong decision now in hindsight. Uh, but presumably, he had a tremendous amount of information, and he shouldn't have said that this is a coup or, or somehow uh, refused to cooperate with the, the correct government that was operating correctly to oust this president who was violating the Constitution in, in Honduras. Uh, and then finally, as an example, I'm going to bring up the uh, Hebdo, Hebdo, Charlie Hebdo demonstrations where he uh, just plum forgot about going 
off to that demonstration. Yeah, football watch. There you go. And uh, in hindsight, well, maybe he should have gone. And, 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 you know, he did say that. That's the only thing he, I recall him ever apologizing for. But, again, it reflects poor decision-making. And then he uh, attributed the shooting at the deli in the wake of the Ebdo oh, yeah. uh, of, to, as a random act, yeah. not Jews being specifically targeted by Muslim terrorists. Right. And then you also have, of course, uh, I'm going to throw a couple more in, the uh, Secret Service uh, issues that have been happening and how he failed to be on top of that uh, with the guy jumping yeah. over the fence I, and, and, yeah. and, and how he lied about how far that, that one guy got in through to, oh, into the yes. White House, right? Into the vestibule yeah. of the White House. And then you have Yemen, you know, Yemen, the great success of uh, the Obama administration in the war against al-Qaeda and so on. Well, well, maybe maybe you spoke too soon about that, too. Yeah, you think? collapse. All right. <laughs> and, oh, and I thought of one more that didn't make the list. The uh, Wall Street uh, reform bill, the Barney Frank Christod bill, which is basically Obamacare for the financial industry. Oh, yes, Remember that's that right. one? Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Payoffs. You know, protection for the big players, only regulate small players. Yeah, but the liberals will say, no, that's a good thing. We need more regulation. So we, we, can't, we can hardly say that this is an impetuous decision. We're talking about it being impetuous and, and not thinking things through, right? Uh, so, so because that's the big picture. And then, and speaking of that, Obamacare is, and I'm not even speaking specifically about Obamacare, um, other than to say that he himself didn't even read what Obamacare was going to be about. Um, what I am saying, though, is that he was so not on top of it that uh, and he thought that a web, website was going to happen, and then, of course, the disaster of the website, which was just uh, such a comedy of errors, so stupidly handled. Okay, so we've just listed, I think I'm, I'm eyeballing it, approximately 30 different uh, foibles, <laughs> call them whatever, mistakes, uh, uh, lapses in judgment, you name it. Okay, and these are all fairly objective. Okay, and, and yes, I'm sure uh, some liberals out there will, will say, well, wait a minute, you, you sounded pretty partisan in the process. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we are pretty partisan. But the issues themselves are not. The facts are not partisan. The fact that they didn't uh, appear at the Charlie Hebdo demonstration, the fact that he tried to uh, really minimize Netanyahu's election, the fact that they backed the wrong party in Honduras, the fact that they backed the wrong party in Egypt, the fact that they didn't follow through in Libya, and so on. We didn't even talk about Russia and Ukraine, by the way, or, or the Hong Kong protests, right? And then there, all these things, terrible lapses of judgment. Okay, now I want to go back to our quadrant thing. Can you see why, and, and I'm speaking about only those particular items, all of them, all of them are failures of some kind or another. You can, you can say that there are questions of degree in failure, but they all belong in the failure camp. That's why we don't have that other quadrant that we're talking about, or that I know by definition it can't be more than four quadrants, but we don't have another section where uh, there are successes because we're not talking about that. I want to analyze these failures and then put them as dots or, or little points into those four quadrants. On the continuum of yeah. intentional, deliberate, evil, or incompetent. Intelligent and deliberate. And intelligent and, you know, not competent and all that stuff. Okay, all those, the four scores that we just talked about. And well, what we have to conclude, my friend, is that if you truly believe that he's intelligent, 
And remember what we said, is that 19 out of 20 times, he would make the right decision, right? You give him, you know, he's a human, so the one out of 20 times, he would make a decision that wouldn't turn out so well, okay? That's what a really bright, a genius person like you claim him to be would do, okay? But here we have 30 of these things. Almost every time he makes a decision, it's the wrong decision, okay? So he's either not intelligent, right? Or he is intelligent, and he's doing it with purpose. It really can't be any other way. In other words, my liberal friend, I think you need to pick your poison. Either he's not as smart as you thought he was. In fact, he, he lacks competence altogether. He's like a child operating with the same impetuousness of a child the same emotions of a child, the same pettiness of a child. Either that, or he's doing this purposefully. Okay? You pick. You see, I told you, Ari, I would come to a conclusion at some point. And I I like thinking logically. I'm a mathematical sort of person. I, I don't believe in year zero. I believe in looking back all the way and analyzing things as one big picture. And the more you know about somebody, the more you can judge him. What's that expression? You can't judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes and such like that. Well, we we can judge this president. We've had six and a half years now with him. Who is he? Is he the intelligent man that you claim him to be? Okay. Then he's doing this on purpose because intelligent men don't make this many mistakes. They just don't. And I'm I'm looking for occasions where he made a smart move, where a good result happened. And and, and, and I'll I'll give you one that comes to mind. And and I don't want to minimize it. It can be minimized, but I'll give it to him. The the killing of of, uh, Osama bin Laden. Okay? We'll just give that to him. Okay, but that is the rare exception. You know, yes, he made the order, and we'll give him that, that he somehow was bold about making the decision, that he took a risk associated with that killing. Fine. Let's not take it away from him. But that means it's only one out of 30. Every other decision that he's made, every motion that he's ever proceeded with has resulted in a failure of some kind or the other. Right? Whether it's minimum wage or or um, gun control, or anything else. Failure. And I'm just, it doesn't, I, I don't know how you can perceive it any other way. In other words, almost every single one of these dots, and I think, and true, indeed, every single one of the dots, every one of these little things would belong in that quadrant, which suggests deliberate and evil. That's what it would be. And I say this, my friends, with great sadness. Because I've just explained this to you in the most logical fashion I possibly could. And it makes me want to cry. Because it's one thing to be a partisan. And I am conservative. But it's another thing for me to think that my own president wants to hurt this country. 
I didn't even think that Jimmy Carter, as bad as he was, wanted to hurt this country. I just thought he was incompetent. But now I, I truly worry that this, this man at the helm looking at us and saying, trust me. And I know where he, he wants to take us. Whether it's Iran or anything else that this country may face in the future, it's not going to be a good decision. And it's going to be a horrible result, just like every single one of these 30 things that we just mentioned is horrible. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening to this. We'll be right back. Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute that needs resolution, you know that I recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Now, Barack, you not only handle litigation, but also serve as an arbitrator. Is that correct? It is, Dennis. Instead of going to court, two sides can hire an arbitrator to resolve the dispute. It's usually cheaper and a lot quicker. And we offer that service for a lot less than others. So what prompted you to start as an arbitrator? First, I discovered I was good at evaluating evidence and applying the law. People started asking us to handle more arbitrations. Second, I see an urgent need. The recent state budget crisis has shut down courtrooms. Cases that took at most a year will now take three to five years. Arbitration won't have that problem. Justice you shall seek. My friends, you know I trust Barack Lurie with my business and other legalities, and to make sure you get a fair resolution in your matter, call him to serve as your arbitrator at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Pursuing justice, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. the show and we uh, there was a topic I wanted to, to share and we talked a lot about Israel uh, in past episodes and there's an interesting comment that came to me by a listener to my show this past Sunday nice man he seemed a little uh, more inquir- inquiring than he was attacking when it came to Israel and and his point was, Hey, look, you know, maybe we shouldn't be supporting Israel so much. You know, isn't he basically said in so many words, isn't it a liability? You know, we're, we're throwing them a lot of money. We're throwing them a lot of military support. And for what? You know, and we get all this antagonism. And I think I answered him pretty well. I kind of set him on the straight path a little bit. And I said, look, uh, don't think for a moment that you'll somehow get a uh, an Arab world that's nicer to America if it just abandons Israel. On the contrary, you'll get a much more vicious Arab world because you won't have Israel to assist in the defense of Western civilization. That's a big deal, right? And, and I, I otherwise explain the basic tenets of, of why it's right for allies to protect each other. <clears throat> also, however, the fact is that it's a two-way street, People think that it, somehow it's all this money is going to Israel and, and, and uh, otherwise. It's not true, first of all. Most of it is in guaranteed loans. So it's, it's a misnomer to treat Israel as if somehow it's a recipient of, of money in the same way that other countries like Egypt and, and so on get money. P.S. Egypt gets much more money than Israel does. And kind of understandably so for 
one reason and one reason only. It's, it's that we give Egypt this money in order to help stabilize it. And Egypt is a hell of a lot bigger than Israel is. And Israel doesn't need American money the same way that Egypt needs American money. Israel's not some sort of backwater banana republic. It just ain't. Go there yourself and you'll see. All right? And great technology is coming out of there. And in fact, we, Americans, get all this technology uh, from them, not just from computers and the internet and such, so much of which has actually come from Israel, but also in agriculture um, and, and building structures um, and uh, irrigation, for example. Drip irrigation was invented in Israel, one of the finest um, water-saving devices ever invented. And then medicine, and the things that Israel does in medicine is unbelievable. And there's, there's no, uh, th- there's a reason why Israel uh, has obtained more patents from this tiny little country than all of Europe combined. Israel is the second uh, represented country behind America in NASDAQ, for example. So Israel gives a lot. And I think you said it very well, Ari. It's, uh, it's not so much that America is protecting Israel. It's that Israel protects America. It's a two-way street, much more so than any other uh, country to whom it, uh, America may give money from time to time. This is a two-way street that pays back in spades. So we give technology, we give military cooperation. America needs Israel and needs her desperately. Okay? Putting aside the point that from a moral point of view, from a, um, a geopolitical point of view, we, we want Israel to thrive, not just survive, but thrive, because Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. And in addition, it shares our values. Now, if you're going to just let Israel slide into oblivion, well then, who, who are you as a country? I mean, what's that expression? If I am not for myself, who am I? If I am for no one else, then what am I? Right? And that's, that's what America would be. America has to be about something. America is the country, not just the city on the hill, but America is a, is a country about freedom, about liberty. That's the first thing you think of when you think of America. You don't think of, when you think of any other country, you may at best think of their cultural reference. Like if you throw out France to you. Food. You'll think of food, right? The wine and the cheese and maybe the Eiffel Tower. You think of Italy, you think of pasta and uh, the Colosseum, Right. Um, you think of Germany, you think of Bratwurst. Race cars. Ra- ra- race cars and Bratwurst, right? <clears throat> uh, Polish, uh, Poland, maybe Polish sausage. But you get the idea. But you don't, you don't think of anything in terms of their ideology. Like, wow, Poland, there's a country that desires, um, you, know, the, you know, industry to grow and, and somehow to maximize industry throughout the rest of the world. No. Poland is about Poland. France is about France. And uh, Germany's about Germany, and so on. That's, that's okay. They're entitled to be that way. But America, it's about much more. It's not just about America. So anyway, this one caller had called in, and I, I wanted to address this because <clears throat> we are far, far more than that. If, if we do not care about Israel, then we are no longer America. 
I guess that's my point. Our, our pro-Israel stance is, is one of the defining things about us. And so not, not just to support Israel, but also to support Taiwan, for example, to support Hong Kong, to support Japan and South Korea, to support all the countries that are resisting uh, Russian invasion, for example, uh, and to support those countries that are being attacked in, uh, by ISIS and otherwise. This is what we do. This is our business. So it's, it's cute to be able to say, well, let's pull out of Israel and all of our problems will be solved. But if you do that, then you have to do that with every country, right? And, and Israel is the, is the one country among all those that I mentioned that gives so much more in every single way that we can imagine. And putting aside the fact that Israel, among all those nations that we just discussed, it's the birthplace of Judaism and Christianity. You wipe out Israel or you let Israel slide, it's as if you're just saying, I, I don't care about who we are. Anymore. Our heritage doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just wouldn't matter at all. So it should resonate for you. It should. Yeah, and then there's, to, to add to that, a bit of nuance to it is, if what America is culturally known for is freedom, and freedom comes from God, and Israel is the site on this world where God made contact with man and gave us these books that demonstrate that freedom has come from God, yeah. America is the result of Israel. Right. The we, result of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Israel is a common source of of our of history, right? It's 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 who it's part of us. Israel. I, I say to my Christian friends all the time, Israel belongs as much to you, my Christian friend, as it does to me. Yes, Absolutely. I may be an Israeli citizen and such like that, but we recognize Israel is is a powerful center for you spiritually and for your soul. That's profound. In essence, Israel belongs to every person who worships the one God. Right. That's exactly what it is. And uh, it's just a blessing for that reason. So, and, and likewise for Judaism, for Jews generally speaking, uh, why we need to embrace Jews for that matter, because Judaism, Jews generally speaking, as the chosen people, um, they, they, they send the message out about the Ten Commandments. Without the messenger, there's no message to be delivered. Yeah. Right? And, and um, one other sort of interesting note is that if freedom is lost, the Jews all have Israel to, to flee to. Christians don't if, if uh, freedom is lost in America or yeah. elsewhere. Rome is not opening with open arms. The world's Christendom population say, <laughs> flee here if... Yeah, you're in danger. There's, there's not, and the, right now, good, good for today. America and maybe Australia and New Zealand and Canada are are good places to come home to, and can, you consider them Christian countries. I, and I would, I like that they're Christian countries, but it's it's not their defining aspect. And if we were to lose Israel, uh, Jews would become guests in other people's countries. It would be a loss to the world. In incalculable ways. It would be a return to the Dark Ages political situation for right. Jews. Fleeing from country <clears throat> to country as persecutions pop up throughout the historical cycle. Right. And, uh, and we forget all the... Let's now speak practically. Let's, let's think in terms of what Israel has in fact given to the world. Um, there was a great site that said uh, there was a boycott of Israel effort, right? So 
Uh, you say, look, you want to boycott Israel? Well, then you've got to go all the way. Okay, then don't use your iPhone. Don't use your computer. Don't uh, hope for that uh, miracle surgery that has completely altered the way that we do surgery now. Because these, these are all things that were invented in Israel. Don't uh, hope to grow all your crops as you do uh, now, or desalinization, as Israel has, has, uh, has pioneered in such a way that is, it's unbelievably great. There's no hope for solar power, uh, because you know, Israel is really the one that has taken it to, to the next level. Uh, the efficiencies that you see in, in just about every aspect of life have been maximized by the Israelis. Um, down to, to what, what Intel has discovered through the Israelis that work for them. And now Apple and now all these other major tech companies that understand the effectiveness of the Israeli method. To say nothing of, of the military and how Israel has trained the Americans how to deal with bad guys. And I have a big one for those uh, Israel haters out there. You better cancel your Netflix account. Ah, yes. Because Israeli scientists and computer technologists have figured out how to reduce the buffering times for streamed video over internets. Right. Oh, and by the way, get ready for a lot of lost time in traffic because you won't be able to use Waze, <laughs> one of my favorite apps, uh, obviously uh, also invented in Israel. So it, it's a very narrow approach to say, what do we need Israel for? It's, it's you know, if you did a movie... One of those situations like uh, like it's a wonderful life sort of thing, but instead you imagined a world not without a particular person, but without Israel itself, a country. What would the world look like, right? How backward would we be? How endangered would we be? And if you did that, you would you would say, okay, now I get it. Let's yeah. uh, let's fight for Israel. And here's an interesting thing to thought experiment yeah. to knock around in your brain, Mr. Liberals out there. A country that should be considered for boycott, I'm not advocating it necessarily, but it, you should be able to consider it, would be China. China has an abysmal human rights record, abysmal moral values, contributes nothing to the Western tradition of moral clarity and values and how human beings treat each other. They manufacture a bunch of stuff, but, and they have a, a intelligent, uh, uh, you know, well-educated history of, of skilled laborers, but... The stuff China produces and manufactures can be produced in multiple countries yeah. with massive economic benefits for those countries. Kenya, Nigeria, Mali, uh, you know. Uh, You've got it. That's right. Uganda, all of these mm -hmm. places could do the same thing China does. But, so why not at least advocate for the boycott of China? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's a, this is a, it's, it's a strange world we live in where, you know, the, the good guys get hunted and the, the bad guys get praised and and this is it's up is the new down and left is the new right and everything is crazy about this and it's it's not unheard of that that we have this situation going on look we talked before about the the attack upon uh jews throughout the world and israel it's uh it's it's for civilization itself that we are speaking now just recently there was an attack in london uh of a synagogue so, uh, and you, you actually, it's, it was all on video, and you see this major attack by some radical Muslims trying to destroy uh, these Jews and, and say, we will kill you all. Can you imagine how terrifying that is? And now, now, fortunately, nobody ended up being killed. But you don't know that as you're sitting there cowering in fear 
wondering what's going to happen to you. Is this the next Charlie Hebdo situation? Yeah, and for all you've done, which is go and uh, profess your faith one morning. Yeah. And the idea of terrorizing people and making them intimidated to, to express their faith, well, that's, that's what terrorism is all about. And the world does nothing. That, that video is something that I'm talking about, but you won't see it on Fox News or CNN or otherwise because it's not the biggest news out there. Well, maybe you will see it on Fox News. On Fox, you'll see it. Yeah. But in certain, well, you won't see it on ABC, NBC, no. CBS evening news no. where you should right. for such Be- things. And it's so, it's so bizarre because to them, it's just Jews. You know, It's just that group of people. You know, we gotta deal with them every once in a while, but gosh, they're just—they're. We'll only talk about them when, when, when we decide that they are causing trouble to a, a minority of some sort. Then we'll, then we're all over it. But when they themselves are actual victims, that's uh, that's when we ignore them completely. I mean, you made the point, Ari, of—I uh, think you made a point during the Charlie Hebdo attack. Since we just spoke about that, there was also. I think on the on the heels of that, uh, the very next day there was an attack on that supermarket, kosher the deli, supermarket, the Jewish deli. Yes. Yeah, uh, in Paris also. And the only reason why that got coverage was because it was at the same time as the Charlie Hebdo attacks. It was it was the 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 journalism attack. That's what it was. That the news outlets were so flummoxed about, like, wow, this is an attack on one of us. And that's what terrified them the most, and that made it worthy of putting on the news. But, but Jews? Yeah, that's not so interesting. That's, uh, that's no big deal. That happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But they're not going to cover that. And you, you would... Uh, I, I mean, we talked before about... I mean, I'm kind of gasping for... Because for, it's so frustrating. We talked before about how when we were young kids and, and spoke about what had happened during the, the days of Hitler, we, we thought, we, we heard never again, but in the back of our mind, we actually thought, you know what, this won't ever happen again because somehow, you know, this was something that happened a long time ago and anti-Semitism like that just won't, won't ever creep up again. And come on, let's face it, we live in a world of color TV and news and everything's modern and such and, and it, just, it just can't happen. And so it was... You know, we, we said the phrases never, never again, but I don't think people actually felt it, it could ever happen again. Did you really believe? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought in hindsight, like, oh, yeah, it's not going to ever happen again. This is, that's mad. Because before I even knew wait, wait, about the... Oh, go wait, my, my point is now that when I see what's happening in Paris and uh, throughout the world of ISIS and how they are slaughtering Christians, uh, they've already gotten rid of all their Jews... Yeah, they'd go after the Jews if Jews oh, for were there. Oh, sure, for sure. There or are what, no Jews left. So. Yeah. <laughs> or what the what the Palestinians have done to to the Jews when they whenever they get a chance to grab one. Um, I I I tell myself, yeah, now I now I get it. Now I, I suddenly understand what it was like to live in in those times, because you and I, let's say you and I lived uh, during the Nazi days. Let's say you and I were here in America as we are now, and we heard the news about it here and there. We would we would say, oh, I really want to I want to get there. I want to fight the, these bad mother effers, right? You, you know, there, there's that bravado in you that you know, presuming that you're the right age and such, you want to go there and fight for the cause. Uh, and if anything, you would you'd want to alarm the world and and get in there and and fight bad guys. But here we are. This is exactly what's happening right now, in the year 2015, right now. 
And where's the clamoring? Where's all the, the bravado that, that we would hope for? Instead, we're seeing far less of bravado than ever was before. We, we, we kind of blame our past selves for not taking more aggressive action when it was Hitler. But now we have something that's as bad, if not worse, than Hitler. And we're doing far less. In the case of Ali Khamenei, we're about to have a Hitler armed with a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Something that didn't armed exist back then. Armed by an American president. Yeah. Well, yeah, let, letting him have it. As, yeah, letting him have it. I, I, I don't disagree with you, but there's a difference between passive and active. And I, it, it may not make a difference, but nevertheless, I just want to make that clear. But we are, our, our passivity is so extraordinary. I mean, I said this on my Sunday show. Roosevelt and Churchill never negotiated with Hitler. They didn't send out diplomats to see wh what can we do here. How can we reach, you know, getting to yes? Yeah, I need to make a joke. <laughs> I mean, that's not a joke. Well, Roosevelt was too busy negotiating with Stalin. Ah, yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's but Churchill point. never negotiated. Yeah. Victory at all costs. Yeah. And, uh, and at quite a cost it, it did take, but Hitler was gone at the end of the day, and, and thank goodness for that. But, but when, we, when you start negotiating and have a detente sort of approach to peace negotiations, you're going to lose. There's no way. It, it's never worked in history before. This is where we're at with this administration. This is um, how important Israel is, and this is how important Jews are. And, and you know, I wonder oftentimes, I mean, I, I, I hear this, Ari, a lot. I, I think to myself, if I were a black person, for example, would I, would I perceive the world very differently? And I'm sure I would. But... You know, how, how would I wonder what other people think about blacks, for example? Um, and and you, you'll just never know unless you're a white person thinking about blacks. And to us, you and I know that there's positively no difference in terms of the value of, you, of yourself as a human being. And certainly in the eyes of God, it makes not a whit of difference. Couldn't give a crap about that. Nothing of the sort. But... It's, it's, uh, it's the liberals, as we always say, that make, make the distinction, not us. Likewise, when people talk about Mormons, I, I, I know that I have a fondness for Mormons, right? And Christians, generally speaking, and I'm, not, I'm neither. And I wonder aloud, you know, you and I are Jewish. Does the world understand how important the world's Jews are? Do they, do Christians... And I'm only really speaking about Christians at this point. I mean, that the non-Christian, that the the atheist or the agnostics or those who are have no affinity toward Christianity, you know, I don't think they perceive any value necessarily to embracing the world's Jews. Uh, only maybe the best philosophy in, in, in the most esoteric sort of way. But the Christian gets it. I think the Christian can't imagine a world without Jews. That the the Jews are. Uh, an essential component. Without, without the Jews, it's like, it's like losing your parent, but a parent that you need to always be there to help you along. I, I think that's the difference. I think Christians see that that way. They, they, and and uh, and I'm not saying that to pat ourselves on the back. Being a, being among the chosen people is uh, a burden. It's very hard, but we we need to to assume the burden, don't we? Don't we? Anyway, um, 
it's a it's a tough talk. Yeah, but a world without Israel and a world without its Jews is a world in collapse. We dare not go there, my friends. We rue that day. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.